From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. The Army Research Lab is the basic academic research institute for the Army, uh, which supports, it's the the bench level research uh, unit that supports the rest of the development centers within the Army. Uh, those development centers include uh, soldier, natick soldier systems. So they deal with, you know, anything that has to do with feeding or clothing uh, a soldier, um, also tents and other things like that, parachutes, that kind of stuff. Um, there's uh, what's known as C5ISR, which is mostly communications and control. So any networking uh, and communication devices. There's the armament center, which is obviously armaments. There's the aviation missile center. Uh, ground Vehicle System Center, uh, and Chem Bio Centers. And I hope I didn't miss one there. Uh, that was LJ Holmes. LJ is the Executive Director of Advanced Manufacturing at Harrisburg University of Science and Technology. LJ has many years of added manufacturing experience, including time in the Army Research Lab. He continues to be active in maturing defense-related manufacturing projects through his work with Astro America as well. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to your show anywhere you download your podcasting, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Also, if you or your company are looking for materials, qualification, or general added manufacturing support, reach out to the team through our website or via email at info at 3degreescompany.com. LJ, thanks so much for joining the show today. Um, I'm excited for, for your perspective and hearing your, your story. So, um, we always start kind of from the beginning, from the ground up with with everybody, uh, to put some context on you know, where you came from and kind of what got you on the path towards where you are now. So um, let's start with that. So where were you born? Kind of what were those early days running around like and, and kind of getting you towards like, like uh, working with your hands and, and making stuff? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Uh, so, uh, my, my name's Larry Richard Holmes, Jr. Most folks call me LJ. Um, I grew up in Chicago, went to high school in Atlanta, um, both, uh, you know, major city kind of, uh, education. Um, I went to gra- uh, undergrad in, uh, in Daytona beach, Florida. It's a great place to go to college. Uh, Ember Riddle Aeronautical University. I went to, to study aerospace engineering. So that's my undergrad degree. Um, with some math in there as well. Uh, I, I went to Embry-Riddle because I thought that I wanted to uh, design aircraft after I was there for a couple of years and got through with my core classes and started really getting into aircraft design. Uh, pretty much found out that commercial aircraft designs haven't changed for a very, very long time. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of fun stuff going on. Uh, and, uh, and so I thought about getting into automotive design instead. At the same time, I was uh, bartending at a bar right across the street from the International Speedway while I was an undergrad. And uh, of course, as you know, there's a lot of races that happen at the Daytona International Speedway, not just the Daytona 500. Um, I was especially interested in uh, the road course style races like uh, America Le Mans was there and uh, a lot of a lot of race teams used to come in the bar right across the street after they got done with their day, hard day of work. And, um, you know, one day I was talking with one of the, uh, one of the teams, one of the Audi teams that was, that was in the bar. 
And uh, they said, oh, hey, LJ, I heard that you were an aerospace engineer. I said, well, not yet. You know, I'm still in school, but uh, but yeah, I'm studying. They said, well, do you know anything about wind tunnels? And I said, well, yeah, all I do is wind tunnel testing. And, uh, you know, I build models for wind tunnels, that kind of thing. And they said, hey, you know, we've got this, this data from some wind tunnel testing in Germany. Can you help us out with it? And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And so they offered me a job over the summer to, to work on some wind tunnel testing data. Um, and that ended up turning into uh, working with uh, Audi Sport North America for an entire summer. It was a lot of fun. Uh, further on in my career, I actually worked with uh, Volvo for a little while too, uh, but mostly in uh, uh, working on aerodynamics. And uh, I was able to, to offer some, some advice in aerodynamics early on, uh, reading through some of the wind tunnel data uh, that uh, was, I'm not gonna say it wasn't complicated, it was just something that I had done a lot of. And uh, apparently I finished it faster than uh, they thought I would. They asked me what else I would work on. And I said, well, you know, I have composites processing experience because I make composite, you know, uh, models for wind tunnels all the time. So, um, so I started working with the composites guys and ended up working on some some really interesting design, aerospace, uh, 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 aero designs for for some race cars. Um, was, had a really good time. I worked with uh, with Audi Sport North America during the uh, 2000 uh, Speed Vision World Championship. That was awesome. Worked on the Audi uh, prototype R8 at the time when it was uh, you know, open cockpit vehicle uh, in, in American Le Mans. It was a great time. Had a lot of fun. Uh, tough work in the race industry. Uh, I, I love automotive racing, but uh, it, it's uh, traveling that much wasn't conducive to starting a young family, which was what I was trying to do. So, um, so everything is like like you have to go like place to place with with a team or do you have a centralized like garage or like workshop too i was at the uh i was at the headquarters for uh down in miami for this particular race team for maybe a week okay uh, and then four months on the road Uh, so you do everything on the road uh some really good stories out there historically you could look at the this race in mossport in that 2000 time time frame where uh we were with uh, at speed racing i'm sorry with uh uh champion racing uh racing the uh, prototype r8 and there was a there was a wreck i won't name a driver but there was a wreck on mossport on the last lap uh, that we were we're doing pretty well in and uh just couldn't finish the race car got destroyed on the very last lap and um, and then we had two weeks to build a new car before we went to another racetrack. Uh, I think that I think we were going to Mid Ohio, um, and so we 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 had a we had a, a, a what do you call it? Uh, just a shell of a car that was really used for you know showing off and marketing and that kind of thing. People taking pictures beside it, but it was just a shell, no suspension, no transmission, no power, nothing. Uh, and so we had to turn that into a race car in two weeks and that was a lot of fun. Um, but no, there was, there was no going home. It was work constantly for months and months at a time. 
Uh, again, a lot of fun, but not conducive to starting a young family. Um, and so I, uh, after I finished that for that summer, I finished uh, undergrad, and then I was recruited by the U.S. Army Research Lab. They were uh, at the time building some lightweight composite armor for uh, many different vehicle ground vehicles. And they were looking for somebody that had composites processing experience and uh, automotive experience. Uh, and, and so I kind of fit the bill for them, even though when I went there to discuss the topic with them, I said, listen, you know, making lightweight composite structures for automotive race industry, motorsports um, is paper thin and making lightweight composite armor is, you know, foot thick. Uh, the materials and the manufacturing methods are totally different. Um, but they, they, uh, they said, well, we're glad you recognize that. Now you're going to come and learn how to do it this way. So, uh, so that I spent, uh, ended up spending 15 years at the Army Research Lab. Great experience. Uh, a couple years in, I was uh, working on through thickness reinforcement for, for those of uh, your listeners that are uh, composites experts. They understand that composites and, and additive have similar issues with uh, Z direction. Uh, laminar structures in general, right? And so I, I went to my boss and I said, hey, there's this, this is like 2003. Uh, I said, hey, there's this thing called 3D printing. Um, you can make anything in three dimensions. It's going to solve all of our Z direction problems because I can make something in, in three dimensions and, uh, and we should get a 3D printer. And my boss at the time, uh, Mick Marr, who's a former DARPA program manager as well, he said, well, well, why don't you, uh, don't get too excited, LJ. Why don't you go do a lit review and, uh, you know, tell us exactly what our options are. So I came back, I don't know, two or three months later. And I said, turns out 3D printing is immature. You can't do anything with it. It's toys. You know, unless you want to make bobbleheads, you can't do anything with 3D printing. But but I think that there is some future there for the army. Um, well, we really need to get involved in it. And uh, so I had a, a few years there of, um, uh, you know, fighting against the stream. That's just toys to make toys. That's not real research. We're not doing that uh, for, for a couple of years. Um, and then I think in 2008 or nine, I had the Army's first program of record in uh, research for additive manufacturing or 3D printing at the time. Um, small program, not even a full year funding. Uh, I think they were pretty much were just like, we just want you to shut up and yeah. <laughs> how did, figure something out. How did you first hear about 3D printing? Was it during the, your automotive days or were in, in uh, school? No, or actually, did I didn't really hear about it at all during my automotive race days. There, um, but... I, I did start hearing about it, um, uh, some rapid prototyping when I wanted to make some models uh, outside of college, actually. So I graduated in the early 2000s. But uh, by 2003, um, I had started hearing about prototyping for, you know, wind tunnel activities. Some of my friends who were doing wind tunnel work. Um, and so I, I just kind of started digging into it. And uh, soon after that, it's the first time I met Chuck Hall from 3D Systems, who's a you know, the, the father of modern additive manufacturing. 
and I've had a great relationship with him uh, since then. And he's been, he's been a great mentor. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't really know anything about 3D printing and jump kind of feet first into it. But when I started that first program or record in eight or nine, I forget which year it was, but um, we, we started working on uh, something very interesting. I think it, it still got legs. It was futuristic at the time. Uh, using electric fields to align and orient particles in three dimensions in stereolithography. Um, there are a few applications out there now since then. Uh, I think uh, Bart Raymakers, who's formerly out of Utah and now at Virginia Tech, has used uh, uh, acoustic signals. And I think um, uh, there's a company called Fortify that was Fortify 3D that's uh, has had some success using magnetic fields. I, I used a, uh, electric field manipulation, but um, I think that I think that ended up being the Army's first patent, first patented additive manufacturing technology. I'm not sure, but that's what I've heard. Um, and from there, I, I uh, started developing uh, process process. Uh, uh, optimizing processes for uh, additive manufacturing materials and technologies for army use. And um, so with, you know, uh, go, go ahead. With, with that, um, maybe take a step back to the extent that you can in terms of like what's army research labs. I mean, general remit, like what, what are they trying to to do as a, a part of the army? And then kind of how does, how does new technology like additive kind of fit into that? Is it like purely manufacturing, like looking ahead of like, okay, Hey, we've got this sort of vehicle set or, and we need to support manufacturing of that. Are they doing actual manufacturing? Like where, where does it kind of like, like how broad is, is, is ARL? Sure. Uh, thanks. Yeah. So, um, the Army Research Lab is the basic academic research institute for the Army, uh, which supports, it's the, the bench level research uh, unit that supports the rest of the development centers within the Army. Uh, those development centers include uh, soldier, natick soldier systems. So they deal with, you know, anything that has to do with feeding or clothing uh, a soldier, um, also tents and other things like that, parachutes, that kind of stuff. Um, there's, uh, what's known as C5ISR, which is mostly communications and control. So any networking, uh, and communication devices, there's the armament center, which is obviously armaments. There's the aviation missile center, uh, ground vehicle system center, uh, and chem bio centers. And I hope I didn't miss one there. Um, and so you get that the, those are the applied research centers for those particular areas. And the army research lab is the bench level uh lab that supports all of those other centers and so um in the world of additive manufacturing we didn't have a specific mission as in uh develop this material for this platform for this vehicle for you know whatever uh it's it's more uh general across the entire uh army enterprise uh developing materials and processes to accelerate all of those things um i, I kind of give you an example uh, when I first started and I was working on armor programs, I worked on both vehicle and personnel armor. Um, sometimes the army research labs mission is 45 years in the future, uh, you know, 30 to 45 years in the future. And, and so if we're developing 
a new armor system, personnel armor system. Uh, we're designing an armor package for a soldier who's not even born yet, since most of our soldiers are, you know, 17 to, to 25 years old. So if I'm working 45 years in the future, I'm designing for uh, a threat that hasn't, might not yet exist, and an armor package to defeat that threat for soldiers who aren't even born yet. So that's the kind of mission that we have at the Army Research Lab. It was uh, a lot of very, I mean, just extremely interesting people, very, very brilliant folks that I worked with. I was very lucky to, to work with some just genius level folks um, and working on future programs that uh, I, I have started to actually uh, become real. And now I see things uh, with my friends that are still in the DOD using technologies that I helped or my colleagues helped to develop many, many years ago. So um, in the world of additive though, uh, again, we we're helping to support all of those different research or development centers. And so, um, so I built a, uh, you know, with the blessing of, of course, of my chain of command, um, a, a research facility to, to, to conduct material and process development. So material development, meaning uh, there are already people at the Army Research Lab developing new materials that have never existed before, right? So, you know, literally a few, like if you saw a vial of it, that's the only vial that's existed on the planet ever kind of stuff. And uh, if, if that was going to be a useful material for the, for the Army in the future, well, how do we scale up production of that material? And then how do we 3D print with it or additively manufacture with it? Um, and then also taking current additive manufacturing technologies and uh, manipulating them so they could process uh, army relevant materials. So uh, that lab still exists it's at the Aberdeen Proving Ground in Aberdeen, Maryland. And I was uh, lucky enough to build that lab and, and operate it for, for several years before I left federal service. And so during that process, I mean, this is kind of 2009, 10-ish, right? In, in that ballpark. So a lot of different technologies kind of ramping up. How are you like, were you just like, hey, give me one of each or like, were you prioritizing like specific yeah. technologies for like use cases that you had either visualized <laughs> down the road or things that you kind of knew were going on in, in other departments or groups? So thanks, man. I feel like just so your listeners know, we didn't plan this ahead of time, but you're asking me perfect questions. Um, so along, around that time, 10, uh, 2010, 11, uh, I realized that I needed input from those other stakeholders, those development labs, uh, beyond just what I thought would be important in, in the future. You know, those, those labs that were uh, developing technologies that were specific for their applications. Um, one of those labs, I mentioned C5ISR for communication. At the time, they were called CERDEC. Uh, they were uh, also on Aberdeen Proving Ground. And uh, so we started this uh, Aberdeen area additive manufacturing working group or something that lasted like two months before other organizations that were outside of Aberdeen, but with still within our circle were like, Oh, we want to be part of this thing too. So then, uh, then it, we went from that to the Aberdeen interagency additive manufacturing working group to the army research and development additive manufacturing working group to finally the army's, uh, additive manufacturing community of practice. And so I was uh, also fortunate to, to be a founding member of this community of practice, which is 
uh, recently been changed, uh, had a name change to the Army's Advanced Manufacturing Community Practicing Encompasses, encompasses uh, more technologies than just additive. But um, through that community of practice, we were able to convene uh, all of the experts in, uh, in manufacturing, uh, future manufacturing, manufacturing readiness, uh, 3D printing across all of those development centers and then really get input from those stakeholders on what materials they needed, what technologies they needed for the parts that they were trying to make to support uh, the, the systems that they were trying to support from, you know, again, everything from communication to uh, soldiers' uniforms, to food, to ground vehicles, to air vehicles, whatever. And, um, and so I'm happy to say that that uh, community of practice still exists. Uh, I, I'm now, since I've been out of federal service, I'm now an academic advisor to the community of practice, but, uh, and, and happy to, to still be part of it. But when, when the army added um, the, uh, we, we had the army uh, materiel command, which is what most of uh, the research and development command or what's now called DEVCOM was under and added the um, army's futures command, which is a, a new command in the army only a few years old. Uh, we were able to help the Army write the implementation plan for additive manufacturing, which is a big deal. So the Army, U.S. Army is the largest organization in the world, I think, bigger than Amazon or, or Walmart, uh, as far as I know. Don't quote me on that, but that's what I've heard. And, and so to, to implement additive manufacturing across the entire Army enterprise, was something I'm very proud that I've had the, had the opportunity to be part of. Um, and, and so, yeah, to answer your question, the community of practice still exists and they govern how to operate in between those agencies within the army and, and really decide on what, what are those next capabilities that are required and what, what do we need to get there? And I imagine it's such a complex problem in, even in small organizations to to implement an additive solution just because you can design a part that saves some money here or there like the number of processes that are involved from how do you procure it how do you who makes it what are the technical data packages how do you communicate who makes it and and all those other steps and testing and, and stuff have to be considered beyond like okay we can make one and it works but that scaling that across a massive organization must must be a a daunting task to say the least it absolutely was but uh there's a great group of folks within the army's advanced manufacturing community of practice um that really know the technology space and are, are just amazing to work with and i'm glad i still get to get to work with them yeah really smart folks yeah and so as you i mean you're we're talking about kind of this kind of 2010s now um it, it, you stayed with the army for 15 years was the next step after that uh directly into academia or you um kind of have some steps in between there yeah so i, I left federal service in 2018 uh not really in i didn't have any intention of leaving uh it was just one of those things that kind of happened um but by that time, 2017, 2018, a lot of government prime contractors, you know, there's large government or, uh, or large uh, 
industrial corporations that you know provide you know vehicles or aircraft or whatever to the DoD, were really investing heavily in additive manufacturing, and I was I was getting uh, just because of my situation in the Army Research Lab, I was you know getting some offers, um, and so I started thinking about leaving federal service. Um, and at, at the time I had some friends at, uh, at the university of Delaware who were putting together, uh, an advanced manufacturing graduate program, or at least starting some grassroots effort to develop an, uh, graduate program in advanced manufacturing. And, um, so I thought if I was going to leave federal service, I really wanted to do, uh, some, some, I don't know what I consider STEM and outreach. I, I did a lot of that at ARL working with students of all ages. And I, I love that so much and I wanted to continue to do it. So instead of going to work for a, a large government prime contractor, I thought I'd go to a university first and test the waters. Um, so I went to the university of Delaware, worked at uh, the center for composite materials under uh, Jack Gillespie and Dr. Mark Morostic. And I'm telling you just great folks over there. Uh, they have, been the Army's center of excellence for composite materials for, for quite some time. Um, and I, I had a, just a phenomenal time working there. While I was there, helping them build some research capabilities to be able to build an advanced degree program, um, I, I started hearing about uh, Harrisburg University of Science and Technology and how they had created this undergraduate program in advanced manufacturing. And so I, uh, so I went to reach out to Harrisburg University to see if their undergraduate program might be a pipeline into the graduate program that I was working on at the University of Delaware. And uh, after several, you know, just conversations with Harrisburg University, and I, uh, they asked me to come over and and help them build what they were what they were trying to build. And um, it was a tough decision to leave the University of Delaware because great folks over there. But uh, I just decided that I would come over here and help this uh, small school who uh, Harrisburg University, not well known in uh, DOD circles just yet, um, but has some uh, unique insight and unique advantages and as a small school. And so I decided to make the jump. I, uh, I do also uh, wear a, a couple hats. So as every good ex-government employee, I wear a few hats. Uh, Harrisburg University is my full-time job right now. And I'll tell you about that a little bit more in a minute, but um, I do also uh, work for a company called Astro America, the Applied Science and Technology Research Organization of America, where I'm the chief of manufacturing uh, for that organization, um, which is uh, which is kind of a dual-headed organization where they have uh, a think tank and a research institute, and um, that think tank deals with public policy. They have some great programs right now going on. Uh, called AM Forward, working directly with the White House on getting uh, advanced manufacturing technologies to small and medium-sized enterprises across the DOD supply chain and the industrial base as well. So uh, I highly encourage you to check out uh, AM Forward. Uh, but I, at, with, at Astro America, I work on a project called the Jointless Hull effort. So Jointless Hull is, uh, as far as I know, the world's largest metal hybrid manufacturing machine we're currently building. Um, the the machine, the uh, team that's assembling that machine is uh, 
is Ingersoll Machine Tool leading the way with uh, Meld Manufacturing as the additive portion and Siemens uh, Digital Industries working on uh, controls and automation. And um, that machine has a build volume of 30 feet by 20 feet by 12 feet. <laughs> yes, it's big and it's fun. Uh, so just, you know, use your favorite search engine and look up uh, jointless hole effort. Um, and that large machine will be delivered to uh, the Army's Advanced Manufacturing Center of Excellence at Rock Island Arsenal uh, later this year, probably in the next uh, three or four months. Uh, I also um, have been working with uh, a company called Enscript for quite some time. Enscript's a capital equipment firm. They, uh, my personal research, I know I didn't mention this yet, but my personal favorite research is in uh, multi-material, multi-technology printing. So I want to print functional devices. Uh, I want to print sensors and communication devices, electronics, uh, embedded into structure. I want, I want to print multifunctional things, whatever that is. Um, and the way that I've been able to do that successfully over the last few years is using Enscript Technologies. So I partner with them on a lot of, a lot of things. And I, I also um, am a partial owner of a small business that executes SBIRs, which are small business things. And I sit on the board of a couple added in manufacturing OEMs. And so, I, I, <laughs> yeah, and you sleep one hour a night. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of those things are going on. But the good news is that all of those organizations know that I, I my my the main driver is I just want to accelerate advanced manufacturing education and um, and capabilities, and and they're all for it. So they all let me just do my thing, and they're happy to collaborate through me, and I, I am too. So it it all works out. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about Harrisburg University. Yeah, that I'm here. Uh, so I, it'll be uh, February 15th will be my one year anniversary. So I've coming up just a little, yeah, just a little less than a year. Uh, Harrisburg University started an advanced manufacturing undergraduate program about four and a half years ago. So we graduated our first class last May. Our second class will be graduating this May. Um, Advanced manufacturing includes, uh, for us at Harrisburg University, includes uh, the manipulation of traditional manufacturing methods to either incorporate new materials or materials that are not tr traditionally used with those manufacturing methods, or to create new materials or new manufacturing methods. Um, and so that's a very broad term for advanced manufacturing, but it really covers everything from casting, forging, welding, robotics, automation, uh, additive manufacturing, composites, um, and, and the virtual uh, realm around all of that. So we have an augmented reality and uh, virtual reality or extended reality team that, uh, that we work closely with to engage with, with training and not just digital twinning, uh, but actually immersive virtual environments in uh, a manufacturing environment so you could go in and actually uh, you know build something in a virtual environment before you actually build the, the real thing and be immersed in that touch and feel um, and so those things are very important to us and that's kind of the the center of the advanced manufacturing uh, program uh, here at Harrisburg University the academic lead is uh, dr. Richard Pitts it's a great academic um, his, his background is robotics and automation. Uh, 
and he's, we complement each other very well. My, my job here is focused more on the research side of things. Uh, so I, I mentioned we have this undergraduate degree already. We plan to, to offer a master's uh, within the next three years and a PhD soon after that in advanced manufacturing. I think if we're able to do that, I think we'll be the only, if not one of the only uh, universities in the U.S. that can offer advanced manufacturing degree from undergrad through a PhD. We, uh, to complement this degree program and many others here at uh, Harrisburg University, we've just completed building a brand new 11 story, 250 plus thousand square foot research tower in downtown Harrisburg. Um, the advanced manufacturing program is the first tenants in our new building. We're filling that right now. Uh, you might've seen some of my LinkedIn posts recently about some new capabilities going there. Uh, so we have about 50,000 square foot of that new facility devoted to advanced manufacturing. Uh, we'll have our public grand opening uh, in mid to late April, but students are already in there using the technologies. Um, a couple of things there that I want to talk about. So we, Harrisburg University is young. It's a private school. It's only been around for about 20 years. Um, the... the we go about things a little differently than other universities. Um, for instance, there's there's different terminology for, for the jobs around here. I mentioned Dr. Richard Pitts, he's the program lead instead of dean. Um, we don't have tenure, there's none of that around here. You, you gotta work to keep your job. Um, we, uh, um, we, we don't have a separation between the lab and the classroom. When I, when I took engineering courses, especially in undergrad, I took classes, you know, two to three days a week and then at a separate lab. Uh, that lab normally taught by a TA or a, a younger professor or uh, another professor. And rarely did that lab ever coincide with the syllabus. Um, and so we, we don't separate those things. We teach them together. So, all of, the, uh, all of the coursework is actually taught in the laboratory. So students are taught theory while they're, while they're in front of the machine. So it's theory practice, theory practice right in front of the technology. And uh, we, I, I know that I learn better that way. And I see our students just, uh, just grasping onto the concepts and, and running with them immediately uh, by being able to practice the technology right away. And what makes like uh, I've asked this to, to a number of guests. Like, what makes like what are some of the characteristics that make folks successful in manufacturing, advanced manufacturing? I mean, from your perspective as students, like uh, are they people that like to work with their hands? Like, what 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 are like the kind of characteristics that you see over and over again? Like, hey, like this person's going to do well, or kind of have kind of grasp on the the stuff that's going on. Yeah, I would say, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when I was uh, interviewing young scientists or engineers or even, you know, potential interns or co-ops, I was really looking for those folks that knew how to turn a wrench. You know, if somewhere in your resume it said you rebuilt your engine on your old Honda motorcycle or something, I, that's what I was looking for 10 or 15 years ago. Um, now there's... Uh, such a uh, an overlap of of 
how uh, an overlap of, of areas of expertise that come into additive or advanced manufacturing in general. Um, I have a, a lot of students right now who have an artistic background that are some of the best designers that I could ever even want to work with. I mean, they're just amazing. Um, and, and you would expect maybe that their skill set would stop there, but uh, many, many of them see a new design that they've created virtually, you know, on their computer or, or whatever. And then they say, well, now I want to see if I can make that. Can you show me how to make that? And so some of these, uh, you know, digital designers that I would consider more artistic have really, you know, jumped out and said, now I want to learn how to make it too. Um, at the same time, I still have students that love to turn a wrench. I mean, they come in with, you know, machine oil and grease all over their clothes and their hands. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's the person that I want to, you know, work with me in the lab. And, and you get there and, and they're, they excel immensely with their, you know, hands-on activities, but they might turn around and say, you know, I really wish I could learn how to design something. So uh, I, I think it's, it's just this broad spectrum from, from just everyone. I mean, we have, uh, we have students that are interested in, in, uh, in, in food sciences and they want to learn how to 3D print food. And you have uh, students that are interested in uh, forensics and they want to learn how to how to 3D print things that they can use to represent what might happen in you know some sort of event that they they need to use forensics in. Um, of course, in in medical, our students that are interested in medical are highly interested in be able to reproduce uh, you know uh, uh, X-rays or CT scans of a of a patient and and be able to manipulate something with those uh, with those. Uh, designs that they make, or even to be able to create new medical devices. And so I think, um, I, I guess what I'm saying is that my, uh, the, the type of student that appreciates advanced manufacturing has grown immensely because it's not just this, the student, the young scientist or engineer, the young person that wants to uh, do, you know, woodworking or modeling or building a an internal combustion engine anymore it's not that it's it's every student that's interested in art and science and tech and i don't know it's amazing that's awesome so as we kind of wind down the the interview here i always like to ask kind of more of a fun question so over the time that kind of you've built your career and and have uh worked in a number of industries um what's a a book that has made an impact on you and that you would want to share or have recommended other people check out yeah so sorry perfect <laughs> uh thanks I, I didn't expect this question <laughs> uh a couple years old now but uh, my buddy john hornick uh, uh 3d yeah. print will rock your world I, I know that a lot of people have read this before, and John's been around the world, around the block for a little while now, uh, AMUG especially, and and uh, Rapid. But I got to tell you that, that I think I think this book is great. I mean, it's it's not it's not high technology. It's it's not a I wouldn't call it an academic book, but man, it I I tell you that there's a lot of really interesting things in there that just get your mind going about 3D printing. That's awesome. Well, great. LJ, thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, 
people can we'll put some links to to all the things that that you're involved with at Harrisburg and Astro America on the on on the page when we release it. So um, thanks again, and, and thanks for all you do in the industry. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.